Hello and welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daf or so. This is uh, the week of Parshat Yitro. Week of believing, not believing, perceiving, misperceiving, faith, and lack of faith. It seems so, so on the nose. We are on 28B, just near the bottom of the mood. Rabbanan Mai, it's about, it's four lines from the bottom of 28b in the set out of the Talmud that was originated in Vilna, Lothis, 150 years ago by the widow and brothers Ram. So, last week we went through a whole conversation, which we're going to continue today, about why three years and went down this path of comparing it to a Shor HaMuad, an ox that gores and becomes a goring ox, therefore has to pay, therefore the, the owner is more responsible, has to pay full damages. And then that was challenged. Um, and we ended up, because of the fact that there are opinions that the goring ox could be goring one after another. So how does that compare? And then ended up that there could be, what happens if you have three harvests that go one after the other. And so finally we ended up saying, yes, okay, that's fine, according to Rabbi Yishmael, who at the end of the Mishnah says that um, if you have a ste'ilan, a field where you have different kinds of trees which come to harvest or fruit at different times, so if you have, if you get a harvest of grain and olives and dates all at the same, you know, one after the other, then that's done. So that's okay. But now we're going to ask, what about Rabbanan, who, who disagree, what about the sages in the Mishnah, who don't agree with Rabbi Yishmael, Rabbanan Mai. So what, what's the reason that the Rabbanan has for three years? I'm a Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef says, Kraktiv. It comes, we learn it from a verse. And this is the second Amoraic opinion. Remember at the end of last, last week, we talked about the fact that the structure of the Sugya, the, the bones of the Sugya, the original Sugya, um, was an Amoraic dispute, and we're going to do most of that Amoraic dispute today. Rav Yosef and then Abai and Rava. So Amar Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says, Kraktiv, it is a pasuk in Yirmiyahu 32, Jeremiah 32, Stot bakesep yiknu ktov basefer vachatom. So the verse says, buy fields with money, or they will buy fields with money, and uh, write it in a book, in other words, write a document on it, and have it sealed. Um, he says this to those in the land of Israel. The prophet is standing in the 10th year and warning about the 10th and 11th years. In other words, he's saying that, and that's two years, and, and therefore it's not enough to have a chazakah. So therefore he's saying that they have to hide the shtarot, right? That's what the, the, the prophet says. You're going to be by fields. You're going to be exiled from land, but you're going to come back. So therefore, you should write these shtarot. Um, you should write these contracts and bury them. And then when you come back, you'll find them. So the prophet is, it's less than three years. So therefore, that's the reason it's uh, that he says you have to hide these fields. Because it would have been three years, and it would have been an assumption of ownership, a chazakah. Amalaya Baya Baya challenges him, saying, Perhaps there, it's actually that's not a that's not a, a, a an obligation. It's just, you know, a good idea. Eitzatova, or in Yiddish, an eitza. 
right? So you just that's a good idea. You want to you don't want to go through the the pain of having to prove that the field is yours. So get a signed contract, hide the signed contract. When you come back, bring out the contract, and then then everybody will see that the field is yours. And then the ilate mahachi, because if you're not going to say that that is actually just wise counsel. Um, then we have a problem with a different verse. Um, the verse is in uh, Jeremiah 9, 29. There, this is part of Jeremiah's charge to the exiles, where he says, actually, let's read the whole thing. Thus said God to all of the exile that I exiled from Jerusalem to Babylonia, build houses and sit in them, and plant gardens and eat their fruit, gardens or orchards, take wives and uh, birth children, Uvanot, birth sons and daughters, and give your sons to women and give your daughters to men. And they shall have children there, and they will become plentiful and not, they, they won't uh, shrink in numbers. And demand the peace of the city that I have exiled you there, and pray for it, El Adonai, to God, because in its peace you shall have peace. This is kind of Jeremiah's charge to the diaspora, saying, do this. right When you're in the diaspora, become part of the diaspora. Don't don't sit on the side. Become part of the, of the diaspora. Become part of those cities. Build houses, make families, and uh, work for the welfare of the city. So Abayah says, that can't be a, a, a command, right? That's just an Eitzat Tovah. Jeremiah is just saying, this is how you're going to get along in, in, in exile. This is how you can get along in diaspora. You're going to do these things. So if that's just wise counsel, so if that, this is only wise counsel. So therefore, Jeremiah 32, when it says that you should sign contracts and hide them, is also only wise counsel. Teda, know that this is so, and some of the manuscripts doesn't have it. Teda dichtiv unitatem leman yamim rabim. Because, and it says that the reason for it is and you should put them, you, you will put them in in uh, uh, jars and they so that they will stand for many days meaning that the whole point is that they're explaining that Jeremiah is just giving telling you how you're going to get back and get your land back because see, the whole point is that he's promising that God will return the exiles okay so that's kind of a no-go that's kind of a failed answer the way that the the sugi is set up so Ella Amarava so Rava Right, fourth generation, Rav and Abaya, major figures in the Bavli, fourth generation. And a number of the manuscripts have, actually, especially the Escorial manuscript has, Minayan Shanim. So if that is correct, it's not all the manuscripts, but so this is completely parallel to the beginning of the Sugi again, right? El Amarava. So Rav says, How do we know that an assumption of ownership that a Chazaka takes three years? So Rav says, Shata Kamaita Machil Inish, Taite Machil, Tlatlo Machil. For the first year, the person gives up. No, not gives up. He says it's okay. He's not. He, he doesn't. If, if I, if you sit on my land for for a year, so you know what? Fine, I'll let it go. Tarte machil for two years. I'll also let it go. 
three years, tlat lamachil. Three years, all right, now you're getting me annoyed, right? So three years, that's why we have, that's where we got three years, because one or two years, a person will not demand his full property rights, but he'll let go some of his property rights and let somebody else sit there. So if you're going to say, if that's true, Abaya asks Rava, if that's true, so when the 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 land is returned, right, when a person demands his land, so when it's returned, so you shouldn't have to give back the fruit of the land, the fruit that was grown, because if, if you're sitting on my land, and for the first year, I don't care. For the second year, I don't care. Only the third year, I care. So in those two years where I didn't care, you grew fruit. And those fruits should be yours. So then why did Rav Nachman say, or some in some Gersod, it's Alma with an Aleph at the end. So how did, or however, Rav Nachman said, the land goes back and the fruit go back. So that obviously can't be the case because if you decided not to press your claim for your property rights while I was sitting on your land, and because of that, I, you know, so therefore that meant that I not only was able to sit on, on your land with your permission, sort of, but it also whatever I, I made on your land would, would have been mine in the same way. Okay. So, Ella, my Rava, so Rava, Rava comes back and tries again. So Rava says, actually, no, it's, it's not, it's not exactly that. The first year, it's not that the person just, doesn't care. But the first year, a person is not going to, is la capidi nish, a person is not strictly standing on top of the land, right? He's not going to, not going to demand, uh, goodness, if the, demand his rights after the first year. Tati la capid, the second year also, tlat capid, after three years, he's going to demand his rights. So this is a more active way, right? And the machil is to give up your rights, like, you know, not totally give up your rights, but not care to a certain extent. Kapeda is a more active caring about it. So for three years, uh, for two years, a person doesn't care. And then the third year, a person will actively care. So that's why three years is a chazaka. So in three years, after three years, I didn't say to you, get the hell out of my land. So then it's yours. I'm really Abaye. So Abaye comes back again and he says to him, Elameata kagon hani de bar al yashiv de kapte. So what about these guys from the house of Bar El Yashiv? Apparently were rich folks. They appear other places in in, in the Gemara later on, in Bavabatra also, that they were so strict about enforcing their own property rights that even a person who passed over the boundary line of their property, remember we're talking a lot about the boundary lines, the boundary areas of their property. So even if a person passed over the boundary lines of their property, they did not let them do that. So therefore, it should be immediately a chazaka. They were so makpi, they were so stringent about um, demanding their full rights on their property that for them, it should have been immediately a, a uh, chazaka, an assumption of ownership, if they didn't say anything. And if you're going to say, okay, fine, for the people like Bar Yashiv, that's true. Right away, it's a chazaka. So then you don't have any any measurement for what a chazaka is. You're just saying that here it's this way, here it's that way. And we're back to the beginning where we don't know what a chazaka, we don't know how much a chazaka is. Elama Rava. So Rava says, okay, actually, here's the real answer. 
So what actually goes on is that the real reason is that for a person will guard his contract for two years, first year, the second year, more than that, a person's not going to guard his contract. You can't expect the person to know where his contract is for more than two years. So therefore, after three years, you don't have an assumption that the person will have his contract. So then you assume that uh, it's his, right? He has no, so if after, if, if, if Shifra is sitting on land that she claims that she bought from Ruvain, one year, two years, during that time, Ruvain has full right to come and say, where's the contract? I didn't tell you, where's the contract? And Shifra can't say, I don't know. After three years, Shifra can say, well, I had a contract. You should have come. And if I would have known that you were going to make such a fuss about it, I would have saved the contract. Right? So that's why it's three years. right? And this brings us close to, we'll talk about it a little bit more in the, in the next slide, it brings us close to the notion, the notion of adverse possession. Right? Adverse possession meaning that if I'm using your land in front of you, then you have to claim, and you don't make any claims unless you don't say anything. So then I, it's, it's as if I am, have a Kenyan, as if I am acquiring that land. And that's kind of what the Gemara is talking about here with this Devar Bey El Yashiv, and the, the Gemara will go into it way more further on. Amalei Abaye. So now Abaye says to him, This is a claim that we heard earlier from the Stam, which is probably taken from here and brought back there, that Abaye says, so if that's true, so then a denunciation not a, or a protest not in front of the person who's sitting on the land, the current owner of the land, um, should not be a protest. If you would have protested in front of me, so then I would have been careful with my contract. Since you didn't protest in front of me, so I didn't know that you, I didn't know that somebody thought that uh, this wasn't my land. I was working on the assumption it's my land. It's obviously my land. So by saying to Rabbah, how could this be that you're so how could you're you're coming at two different sides? You're coming, you have a problem here because you're saying that it's the problem is that a person doesn't guard his contract for more than three years. So if that's true, then anybody who wants to challenge his ownership, he has to be in front of him. Damar Le says, no, because he say he can answer, he say can say back to him, Chavra, Chavra Itlay, but Chavra, the Chavra, Chavra Itlay. No, because it's a, actually, the, the question is communication. Your friend has a friend, and your friend's friend also has a friend. In other words, it's Jewish telephone. If you go in your town to a bunch of people and you say, oh my God, I just heard that Yankel was sitting in my property, or Shifra was sitting in my property, and it's my property, and she's, she's assuming ownership of it, so that's going to get back to her, so she's going to know. Oh my God! Somebody's you know somebody's saying that uh, uh, that this is not my property. I'm better uh, watch out for the contract for the star. It's again a question of what is adverse possession and how I have to. So this goes back to the theory of possession, which is that in a sense one of the theories of possession is that possession is a communicative act. Right? Possession is communication, and some. Um, and as, as one scholar says, some venerable statutory law obligates the acquiring party to keep on speaking lest he lose his title by adverse possession, right? Which is common law interpretation of statutes of limitations for actions to, act to recover real property. So the communication is on both sides. It has to be 
the owner of the property, the original owner of the property, if they think that somebody's squatting on their land for no reason, have to communicate. They have to say, no, that's my property all the time. But it doesn't have to be directly to the to the person there. It has to be to somebody because then it's going to get back to that person. And the person who is sitting on the property, the machzik, the one who, who has the property now, has to have the contract in order to say, no, look, here's another text. Here's another communication which says it's my property. Okay. That's the second explanation. That's why three years, because three years, the person will make sure they have their, their contract. Amar Rav Huna, Rav Huna says, Shalosh Shanim Shamru, Hu Shachlan Ritzufot. When we say three years, we mean three continuous years. My Kamash So what does this teach us? Tanina Cheskatan Shalosh Shanim Miyom Liyom. So why do we have this notion of, of, of three years from day to day? What would I have thought? It says from day to day, this excludes partial years. However, it can include spread out years. So I could have a year and then not be there for a year and then go back for a year and not be there for seven years and go back for a year and like that. It comes to teach us that wrote also not. There has to be Ritsufot one after the other and not spread out over many, many years. Amar Rav Chama, and Rav Chama says, Modei Rav Huna, so Rav Huna, who said you need three continuous years, admits, exceeds, in a case of Ba'atre Dumovri Bagi, in a case where there is a, a valley or a plain where they um, turn over, they let the, the earth lie fallow every other year. And it's good agricultural practice, they let the earth lie fallow every other year. Pshita, so that's obvious, because if that's what you do, so... Everybody does that. I mean, that's what it means to work land for three years. Is two years working land, one year not. La no, you have to say that. Why? Because it's the truth is that some people, or you were talking about a case where some people let the land lie fallow and some people don't let the land lie fallow. And this guy lets the land lie fallow. What what would you have said? Amarle, so the Marakama, the original owner, would have said, if it's really yours, if it's really yours, you should have planted it. Kamash Milan, so we learn from this Da He could say back to him that one piece of property, one piece of land in that whole valley. I don't want, it doesn't make sense for me to, to guard it. In other words, if you put it out, so then you have to, not only, it's not just planting it, but then you have to guard it from animals, you have to guard it from other, from people stealing. The inami, or, or another, another thing that he could say back, No, this is better for me, right? I have, I own this land and I let it lie fallow because then next year I will get, it will produce more crops for me. Uh, so therefore, it's better for me this way, and this is what it means to own, to work the land. So that's also considered Ritsufot. That's why it has to say Shalom This week's podcast is brought to you by Luchot Vishivre Luchot, Artistic Restoration. When it's time to get those broken potsherds out of the basement and put them back together just the way they were when they got here with the Judean exiles, you want the restoration experts of Luchot Vishivre Luchot on your side. And for this month only, listeners to this podcast will get a 20% discount on their first restoration. Just go to www.luchotvishivreluchot.com slash dafshui. That's www.luchotvishivreluchot, just the way it sounds, dot com slash dafshui to make an appointment. All right. 
Next topic in the same topic. So remember, let's just let's just remember of Huna says Ritzufot, one after the other. We're going to come back to Rivuna. It says in the Mishnah, we've said that a number of times. So we're talking about the Chazaka, the actual assumption of ownership on a house. So in the daytime, we know about the house. How, do you, how does anybody know that he's in the house at night? Everybody's asleep. Everybody's gone home. So Abayah says, who can testify about houses? Shivavi, the neighbor's. Nosy neighbors. Shivvi made a yade be a mama. Uvalelia. The neighbors know what's going on in your house both during the daytime and at night. So either nosy neighbors or neighbors that care for you or you have a community, mutual aid, everybody's looking out for everybody else. So that's one possibility. Rava Amar, Kaganda Atu Bay Treba Amri Anan Agrinan Mine, Vidarinan Bay Tlachnin Bimama Uvalelia. So Rabbi says, no, there's another possibility. It could be in a case where there are two who come and say, we rented the house from him, or we rented from him in the house. He was also in the house. And we lived there for three days, day and night. So we actually know that he was there at night. Okay. Now, the next part of the sigi, there are two ways to go. So we're going to do it one way, and then we'll do it another way. Amar le Rav Yemar le Rav Ashi. So Rav Yemar says to Rav Ashi, Hani nogin bejitanin. Pain. How can you believe these renters? They are they are an interested party. They have a conflict of interest. Because if they had not said that we rented it from him and he lived here day and night and it's his property, we would have said to them, to the renters, So now you have to go pay rent to the other guy because you might have paid rent for to this guy, but this guy not, doesn't own the house. So therefore, you have to pay rent to the other guy, and then you have to go and, and sue the first guy who you paid rent to. So therefore, they have a conflict of interest because it's in their own interest to say that the person that they paid the money to was the owner of the house. Amar Ravashi answers, Really, low-level judges would judge in this case. What are we actually talking about? Kagan, Dinekiti Agarbeta, Amri Laman Letvei. No, we're actually talking a case where these renters had not yet paid their rent, and they're saying, they're wondering, who do we have to give the rent to? So they have no interest. It does, there's no conflict. They don't care. They, while they were living there, they were living there with, with, with Ruven. But Shifra comes and says, you know, it's my house. And so, all right, you know, maybe we have to pay to Shifra. They don't really care. So therefore, they're not an, an interested party. Therefore, they have no conflict of interest. So therefore, we can trust them to say... Ruvain lived here for, for three days, day and night. Amar Marzutra, the E tie in the Amar Leto Tre Sahadi La Sudele, the Darbe Tlachne, Biamama Vilaila, Tante Tana. Okay, so now the first way to understand this is, and this is the way the Rashbam understands it, right? There's also a big, big moment where switching from Rashi to Rashbam. It's like when you. You, when you're, you're on the train and you go up in somewhere in the middle of Connecticut, they switch gauge trains. They have to take off the engine and take another engine. So now Rajbam is going to be our engine from now on. There's a big announcement in the middle of um, 29A. It says, Ad kan perish Rashi zatel mikan be'elach perish rabbeinu shmuel bar meir. Until here, Rashi is explaining from here on, it is Rajbam. And actually in Dfus Pizarro, the earliest printing, it says that Rashi died here. In this, we know we know what year he died, but here it says this is where he died in the Masafet. I don't know if that's 
true or not, but he stopped. Could be that people thought since he stopped writing, why else would he stop writing a commentary on Baba Batra of all things? It's fascinating stuff unless he had died. So maybe he died. Okay. In any event, the Rashbam says that this is a whole nother, a whole other topic, right? Marzutra just says now that if somebody, Itai Bama, that if somebody made, that if the, 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 the Marakama, the first owner, complained or claimed um, and said, he should bring two witnesses to testify that he lived there for three years, then his claim is a claim that we have to listen to. In other words, we don't say, if somebody says, I lived here three years, we don't immediately say, all right, bring witnesses, we don't trust you. But if he says... If the Marakama says, I don't trust him, I, I don't believe him, he should bring witnesses, then he should bring witnesses. Umodi Marzutra and Rabzutra, however, Marzutra, however, exceeds in a case where peddlers who go around from place to place in the cities, from city to city, um, so they're not home every night, right? So this is talking about the Marakama, right? That the, 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 the first owner was going around from city to city. So, and therefore, he wouldn't know who was living there and who wasn't living there. Right? So he has no idea. So maybe it could be that when he came to the city, the guy who's squatting in his house ran away. So he didn't know that the guy was squatting in his house. So therefore, even if if he was a rochel, if he was a peddler, so even though he wouldn't make the claim on his own, we, the Beidin, would make the claim for him and say... To the guy who's who he's, he's, he's claiming it, the house does not belong to him, and say to him, "You have to bring witnesses." All right. Now, there's another way to read this Gemara, and that's the Yad Ramah reads it this other way, and a number of other Rishonim. And the second way to read it is that Rav Yemar is asking Ravashi about the renters being interested parties, right? So Rav Yemar says Ravashi, so these renters are interested parties, and that's the same thing, right? So that that they're how can we trust their testimony? And then uh, Rav Ashi says back to him, no, we can trust their testimony because they don't care who they give their, they haven't yet given the money, the rent money, and they don't care who they give it to. And then Marzutra says about them, about that, right? Marzutra is not a new topic. Marzutra is commenting on that. And Marzutra says that although we would not make the claim for the Marakama, for the first owner, right? That the machzik, that the that the guy who's standing, who's in the house now, must bring witnesses to testify that the renters were there for two years. However, if the marakama makes a claim by himself, then we would force the machzik to bring witnesses. Okay, do you understand the difference? I'm listening. How come nobody's saying yes? Okay, everybody nod their heads. That the difference is that this the here marzutra is 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 saying about the renters, right? That if the first owner the original owner. We wouldn't say that the guy who's sitting there now has to bring witnesses that his renters actually were there for three years, day and night, so that when they testified we were there three years, day and night, we trust them. But if the original owner said, bring, they have to bring witnesses, I don't trust them, then we accept their their tana. And then here's the great thing. So there's another gear set. It's not Modi Marizutra, it's Modi Rava. Right? In, in several of the manuscripts, Modi Rabban, the Oxford and Forensic Manuscript, and actually the Yad Ramah knows of this other one, and Rabbeinu Tam knows of this other variant. The Yad Ramah thinks that the other variant is the better one. So Rava exceeds, right, in a case where the renters are peddlers, 
that even if the first owner, the Marakama, doesn't make a claim that the renters should have to bring two other witnesses, because obviously the peddlers are not there all the time, that we make that claim for them. Right? So in a case where the renters are peddlers, that even if the Marakama doesn't make a claim that the renters should have to bring two other witnesses, because obviously the peddlers are not there all the time, that we still make that claim for them. Okay. So Modi Rav Huna, and and then we finish off Modi Rav Huna Mechanuta de Machosa de Liliamama Avida Lulelia Lo Avida, and Rav Huna. Remember Rav Huna. Rav Huna said Ritzufot three years have to be straight. So we are talking about a store that's for a whole area that he works in it in the day, and at night he doesn't work there. That's that still considered Ritzufot. That's that's still considered one after the other. There you don't need day and night working. In the store, okay, and that's a nice way where Vuna started with the with this part with Ritzufot, and then we went to Rava, and now we're back to Rava, and then Ravuna. Okay, moving on. So now we finished out that part about what does it mean to have three years, three years one after another. How do you know? Two different ways to read the sugya. Rami Barachama Barav Ukva Barachama Zavin Hahu Amta Bahadiyadadi. So here is a little disturbing little piece. Together bought a maidservant in partnership. One of them made use of her in the first, the third, and the fifth year. And one of them made use of her in the second, the fourth, and the sixth year. So uh, somebody challenged the ownership of the uh, maidservant. The Rava, so they came before Rava, and they said, "Who, who, who owns the, who owns this maidservant?" Amar Lahu, my Tama Avditu Hachi. Why did so? Rava said to both of them, "Why did you do it this way? The first, third, fifth, and second, fourth, sixth. He said, "Neither of you could get a chazaka over the other one. Right? If one of you, if you said three years, then three years, kind of like." You know, you have a national unity government. You have one prime minister, then another prime minister. The first prime minister is sitting in the chair, and then when his cadencia is is up, his term is up, he's not going to leave. I'm just telling you, he's not leaving. Not having anything to do with any specific Israeli country. So, but here, he says, so here also, you have three years, and then three years. The first guy has three years. That's a chazaka. Second guy, he says, the second guy, you know, I'm Moti Mechaber of you have, uh, it's it's on you to prove that it's yours, because I have three years already. So you didn't want that to happen. So therefore, said you shouldn't have a chazaka uh, one towards the other. And one of you shouldn't have an assumption of ownership. So just as you don't have a chazaka, nobody in the world has a chazaka. Right? So you can't, just you couldn't have a chazaka towards each other. You have a problem, because now somebody else is claiming it. You can't say you have a chazaka. Right, so somebody claim makes a claim against you, it could be it's theirs because you have no leg to stand on because you set it up in such a way that neither of you can have a chazaka. Rabbi saying, "Lo amran elad itra," and this is only talking about in case where they didn't write the special kind of a contract, which was a contract in the one three five two four six, and they they both owned her in some way. Elakatu itra kala itle. But if they wrote an itra so that everybody knows what the arrangement was, then that has a voice, a kol, right? In other words, it's known outside. This is kind of the communicative manner of, of ownership. And that communicates to anybody who, who is saying that that ownership should not stand, that this is, that they do own it. 
Okay, before we move on, just note that rabbinic Judaism was a slave-owning culture. Once upon a time, we thought it wasn't, but then we found, we thought that, yeah, they talked about it, but they didn't really have slaves. But then we found documents, I mean, not me personally, but found documents in the Geniza that as late as the ninth century, Jews owned slaves and their slave contracts and their slaves as part of ketubah contracts, as part of wedding contracts. You know, you could say everybody owns slaves. Yeah, everybody owns slaves. It's not everybody on you know, everybody enslaved people. But it's not, that's not an excuse. It was terrible. People, and they, they talk about them as, you know, this is in line, enslaved people like fields and like animals. It did eventually die out and nobody had, Jews did not have enslaved people. Though, to be perfectly honest, in the Civil War in the United States, there were Jews, both the North and the South, and there were Jews who were abolitionists, and there were Jews who were, there were Jews who were abolitionists who paid dearly for it, who were who were not just in the North, and then there were Jews who were pro-slavery. So, and both of them, and there are, there's a famous debate in the late 19th century by Rabbi Einhorn, who was in Baltimore, who was an abolitionist and wrote this long, very learned polemic against the rabbi who was then Rabbi B'nai Jeshurun in New York, whose name escapes me at the moment, who was pro-slavery, pro a sort of very modified type of slavery. And uh, they went back and forth. And actually, Rabbi Einhorn, the abolitionist, had to run away from Baltimore and ended up getting a position in Philadelphia because Baltimore was sitting on the Mason-Dixon line and apparently they didn't like the fact that he was an abolitionist. So slavery was a thing in in Jewish law for for. In the, in the traditional texts, and then people came down all over it on different sides, pro, con. But, I mean, it's one of those embarrassing parts of our history. Amarava. Achla kula chutzmi beitrova kav kanakula chutzmi beitrova. So Rava says, if you used a field, in other words, if you consumed a field, if you planted in it and, and, and got out of it, except for a, the amount that produces a quarter of of a, a saw, that use was an acquisition of all of it except for a quarter of a saw, the amount that it takes to produce a saw's worth of grain. I'm Rav Huna, Rav Yeshua, Rav Huna, said, Rav Huna the son of Rav Yeshua, said, Lo Amaran, Ela de Barzriahi, Abulav Barzriahi, Kanila Agav Ara. So, and this is only talking about the fact that uh, the whole field was able to be planted. But if you have Three, you know, all of your field except for this one quarter of a sa'ah, and that one quarter, one quarter of a sa'ah is just rocky land. You can't plant anything there. So then, that is bought by way of the rest of the land. So Rabbi Barabaye challenges him and says, "So then, if you have." Ground rock, right? Rock that goes into deep into the ground. So how are you going to buy that land? You can't seed any of it. Ella said, no. So that's different. There, if you're, you can, you can acquire it by housing animals there or laying out uh, fruit to dry, to dry in the sun there or to keep fruit there. So the same thing if you have tsunma, or if you have part of the land that can't be seeded. So if you use it for if you use it for other purposes, which gives you benefit from it, in the same way as like if you have a according to at least uh, uh, the Meiri, if you have a mill, 
right? Where you're making olive oil. You're, you're, uh, and so that only happens once a year, but the rest of the year you're using it to hold the tools that you would make the, you know, that you would, you would harvest the olives with. So that's considered using it. So you have use from it all year round. Same thing here with a field, even though it's has rocks and you can't be really planted. Um, still, if you use it for other reasons, you're getting benefit from it. And as the, the, and that getting benefit is a manner of, of acquisition of the field. Um, and this actually just uh, going to read, want to read one paragraph just to show how long ago, how far back these types of discussions are on the same sort of, the same sort of criteria for, for possession. So this is a, a California case from 1870, has two claimants to a piece of land, each claiming ownership through a title that went back to an original possessor. The question was whether one original possessor really possessed the land. Those who claimed that through one of these original possessors, his name was Treat, put a number of facts before the jury to establish his original possession. They noted particularly that Treat had repaired a fence across the neck of the Potrero Peninsula, that this is the piece of land, to which the other side rejoined that outsiders could still land in boats and that in any event there was a gap in the fence. The Treat claimants also alleged that Treat had made use of the land by pasturing livestock on it. Though the other side argued that the land had not been suitable for cattle even then because San Francisco was expanding in that direction. The court ruled that the jury should decide whether Treat's acts gave sufficient notice to the public that he appropriated the property. If so, he had possessed it and could pass it on as an owner. So again, there, it's not merely, it's not only planting land, it's building a fence. It's uh, keeping animals on it in the same way that our Gemara is also trying to, stumbling around, trying to figure out Stumbling around, people might take offense to that. Agmara is trying to build, in a way, a theory of what possession means. And we're going to stop here. And now we're going to start on a whole series of cases next week that deal with what happens when we have conflicts uh, around who owns a piece of land. Great stories. Great halacha. So... That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I know I did. And uh, my name is Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. Thanks again this week to Charlotte van Robert, my chavruta, and Eli Unger-Sargon, my producer. If you enjoyed yourself today, if you like this podcast, please tell other people about it. Bring other people into the Beit Midrash. Give me a rating on the Apple podcast page. That way more people will find it. And even if they don't, I'll feel better. And hopefully you'll come back next week with many more people and the sound of Torah will travel out all around the land. Stay healthy, stay well, see you next week.